told Tim this morning, I can't speak for the rest of them preachers, but this preacher needs some prayer too. Huh? I don't know about the rest of them. I don't know about the rest of them, but Lord knows I need the prayer. Like, like, like Dr. Bryson used to always tell us in college, though, I need the prayers and you need the practice. So it's, uh... And I'm trying to think about these stewardship songs we sing on Wednesday night. I'm thinking like my, my, my brain goes to Money, Money, Money by Pink Floyd, but I'm not sure that's what we're, that's what we're doing. So come, come Sunday for a children's choir arrangement of Money, Money, Money by Pink Floyd. Okay. That's where my brain went, and I'm sure that was probably not accurate. So. <laughs> We'll see. So anyway, we are, our, our, our gospel lesson this morning is going to come from Luke's gospel, from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And I invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for our gospel lesson today. He was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us into the time of trial. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This week as I was uh, thinking about this text and, 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 and preparing for the message, I began to think about the concept of mentors, um, and those people in our life who influenced us. One of my children were writing an essay for school recently about a, a mentor and someone who has shaped and spoken to their life. So I began to think about individuals who have shaped me and, and, and the people in our life we turn to. I was picking with Tim, but Harold Bryson, who was a longtime professor at Mississippi College, was one of my mentors in ministry. Barry Bryant, who now teaches at Garrity Evangelical Seminary and Evanston, Illinois, was a dear mentor of mine. Uh, Bishop McLilly is, is a dear mentor of mine. Um, but I was thinking about all these things, and I was thinking about maybe the, one of the best expressions, quotes I've heard recently about making decisions and how we need to always ask r- wise questions and, and receive wise answers in our, in our decision-making process. And this, this, was, um, this quote comes from a very wise and learned scholar, uh, Ed Orgeron, I love, I love this quote so much. You, you, many of you know, um, Coach O had, um, shall we say, a um, troubled time at Ole Miss. I guess that's one way to put it, perhaps. Um, and after he left Ole Miss, it wound up going to Southern Cal again and was the interim coach for a season at USC and, and had, a, if you look at his record at USC, had a pretty successful run there uh, at USC as the interim coach. And a lot of USC fans were probably wishing they had kept him after the success he's had at Baton Rouge. But um, when he was at USC, somebody asked him and said, Coach O, after all the trouble you had at Ole Miss, how have you turned it around and become so successful here at Southern Cal? What have you done? I'm not making, this is an honest to goodness quote, y'all. I'm a preacher. I can't lie. Even though you're praying for me, I can't lie. He said, well, I'm not going to do the impression because I can't. He said, well, I asked myself, when I'm faced with the decision, I asked myself, what would I have done when I was at Ole Miss? And I answered that question. And then I do the exact opposite. I just love that quote. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great quote? So in life, sometimes it's about asking the right questions to the right people 
and learning from the right people. We're Christians. That means little Christ. It means Christ follower. So as Christians, the question we should be asking a lot and the person we should be looking to for advice, for wisdom, for direction, is Jesus. Jesus must be the person that we're constantly always looking to for advice, for wisdom, for things like that. And so, well, how do we, how do we know that? Well, Scripture obviously is the, the best place to start. Scripture reveals to us who Jesus is. From Genesis to Revelation, all the Scripture points to Jesus. The Bible says that he was the Logos, the very Word of God. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, amongst us. Scripture tells us over and over again that all of it, all of Scripture, points to Jesus. That Jesus is the point of all the Bible. So we read the Bible and we understand who Jesus is. But then knowing who Jesus is helps us correctly interpret the Bible. There's that beautiful dance there. Well, the more we read Scripture, the more, we, the more we know who Jesus is. And the more we know who Jesus is, the more we can correctly read Scripture. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful dance that we have with that. And so all of Scripture points us to Jesus. We see when you read Paul's works, we see Paul expound over about who Jesus is. You, we see the writer of Hebrews point us to some beautiful examples of the sacrifice of Jesus. We see so much good wisdom throughout Scripture for how the church should be organized and run and structured. We see so many things in Scripture that point us to Jesus. But if we really want to get to the heart of who Jesus is, the place to start is always the Gospels. Because the Gospels tell us about the earthly ministry of Jesus. Because, y'all, that's the whole shooting match is Jesus. Our faith, our life, our existence is predicated upon the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the return of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the whole thing is Jesus. It's always, only, always about Jesus And all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, points us to the beauty of our salvation found only through the grace and blood and resurrection of Jesus. So the Gospels are not more inspired than the rest of the Bible. They're not, you know, anything like that. All of Scripture is equally inspired. But there is something incredibly significant about these narrative histories of Jesus' life. I do think they give us particular insight to who Jesus is. Now, when I was working on this text, I originally, this sermon rather, I originally was going to just do a rapid fire machine gun version of scripture. I was just going to pelt you with scriptures, a bunch of them, because we're talking about prayer. And y'all, Jesus is a big deal. I think we can all agree on that. He's a big deal. He's the second person of the Trinity. The very one, as Paul tells us in Colossians, for whom all things were made. And all things were made through him and for him and by him. And he, he holds all things together. That is who Jesus is. He is the second person of the Trinity. 
He is fully God and fully human. He is the logos, the essence, the very nature of who God is. Fully God, fully human, eternally begotten, not made of one with the Father. That is who he is, given for our salvation and for the salvation of the world. He, y'all, it's him. He's it. This is what we're about. It's Jesus. His life, death, resurrection. Okay, that's huge. And so if we want to know what our faith is about, what our faith should look like, and what we should be doing, we have to always start with Jesus. And so what I was going to do originally, was gonna go, I was going to go to nearly every passage in Scripture I could find that said, Jesus withdrew and prayed. Jesus left the group and prayed. Jesus crossed over the, the sea and prayed. Jesus went here and prayed. Jesus went alone and prayed. Jesus prayed here. Jesus prayed here. I was going to show you every example in the Gospels of Jesus going to pray. Because, y'all, if we're Christians, prayer's got to matter. If Jesus Christ, who the Bible tells us is the visible image of the invisible God, understood that prayer mattered to him, and he built his life, his schedule, his everything around the time that he spent with his father. If Jesus Christ did that, then we who are imperfect, Jesus is sinless and blameless, the Lamb of God. Before the world began, the very sinless Lamb of God, if he knew that prayer and time with his Father was essential to the living of his life, then how much more do we, as the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, need prayer in our life? We who are imperfect, we who are fallible, we who mess up, we who get it wrong, we who are weak. If Jesus needed prayer so desperately, so desperately, don't we? During this capital campaign, this Rooted in Christ campaign, you're going to hear encouragements to give. We're going to have a Sunday that's going to be a time of commitment. We're going to talk about committing over a three-year period with pledges and things like that. You're going to have opportunities to give. You're going to have opp- we, we've, had, we've had weeks Months of time for questions. I still welcome your questions about any of this. I do. But our primary call in our church right now is to pray. Is to seek God with every fiber of our being. It is to humble ourselves before God and pray. That's it. Prayer. That is our call, that is our mission, that is our command, is to root ourselves deeply, completely, totally in seeking God's face through prayer. Because y'all, if we build a $10 billion building with the water slides and a laser show, and it's not God's will, and God has not directed us, then we failed. But if we seek God's face with all that we are and are obedient to God in whatever he's calling us to be, then we have succeeded because that is our mission 
is to seek him. The very savior of the world knew that prayer mattered. And he over and over and over and over sought his face. And if we're not praying, then we're flying blind. As a church, as an individual, as families, if we aren't reading scripture, if we aren't praying, if we aren't worshiping, then we're flying blind. It's only in these things that we truly can hear and discern God's voice for my life, for my family's life, and for our church's life. It's always about prayer. And I really hope that you are part of our Rooted in Christ daily Bible study. Because every week right now, we're texting out the passage that we'll be preaching on that Sunday. And you're getting different reading guides talking about it. And this week, we spent a lot of time talking about prayer. We, we text out the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, every day. And we read through it, and we, we talked about it. And I gave you some good tools to pray better, to help your prayer life, to understand prayer, to understand more what was happening here. We talked more about that. But as I read it this week, my big takeaway from reading the Lord's Prayer, um, as seen in Luke, was this. It was the first thing that Jesus said to God. Is what he called him. He said, when you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name. The word Father there that Jesus uses is, is a specific word. It's not, Paul uses another word quite often in his writings where Paul will call God Abba, Abba Father. Abba is basically the Aramaic form of daddy. That, I mean, it's a very personal, very familiar term, daddy. I mean, you think about that. You call, you know, you call your daddy, your daddy, you know? Um, my daddy is not the man who's my biological father. You know, daddy's a, daddy's a completely different word than father. But the word here in the Greek is father. That, that, that title that goes to the head of the household in that context. And, and we think about that so personally. We think about, okay, well, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a child of God. So that makes me think about my responsibilities as a member of the household of God. Okay, if I'm calling God father, then that means I'm a son, which means this, which means this, which means this, which means this. We, we think about what that term father means to us. But as I did a lot of reading this week, I come to realize that one of the significant things that for the people of Jesus' day, it would have been very important when they called God father, they were implying God's relationship to them. That it isn't just as a child, they get the benefits of the inheritance and things like that. It isn't just that. But as a father, that means that God has promised as the protector of this family to do certain things for us. It isn't just that we have a duty as the child to follow the father, but it is that the father has a duty in that culture to take care of the child. To call God Father is to mean that God is with us. That God will be with us and for us and help us and will not leave us. If God is our Father, he literally cannot abandon us. In that context, in that culture, if God is Father, he is duty-bound as the Father to be there for the children. So to call God Father is to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I know that you are good. 
I know that you have my best interests at heart. I know that you love me. I know that you care for me. I know that you will protect me. And even if I do not understand the path you're calling me to walk towards, even if I do not understand the way that you are calling me, I trust you as my father to take care of me, even in unknown, unforeseen, choppy waters. To call God father is to imply that when I am unsure of the path, I trust the voice of the one leading me down the path. And y'all, I'm not good at that. I'm not an Abraham. Because the Bible said to Abraham, it said, God called Abraham. He said, go to the land that I will show you. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He just took off and the Lord showed him. I want God to text me an exact address and time of arrival. I need GPS directions, Lord. Don't, don't send me on these generic things. And that limits my faith a lot. Because sometimes I come to that spot where my, faith, where my strength ends and my abilities come to a stop and I want to quit because I'm afraid or I'm weak or I don't trust. And to hear that God is my father means that I have to trust that God is with me in this even if I don't understand. And I've got to jump when he tells me to jump even if I don't understand. One of the best stories I ever heard was that um, this was, must have been 15, 15 years or so ago now. I was at a conference, and the speaker um, is a, I think it was Bishop Monacore who's passed away since then. He told a story about taking his grandchild to the zoo. And they were walking around the zoo, and there was this ugly-looking critter. It was like a bird of some sort or like a rabbit or something. I don't know, some critter. And the, you, know, you know how in the zoo it'll have like the sign, like, here's the panda, and it eats whatever. What well, said that the, the, this little critter was behind a fence, about a five-foot fence. And this, the little sign said, behold, the impressive whatever it was. It said, this amazing creature can, learn, can leap 20 feet in the air and jump over great distances. And they said, wait, what? It's because it was behind a fence five feet tall. And he wasn't that smart, but he knew that 20 feet was more than five. So, okay, so if this thing can leap 20 feet in the air, how is it behind a fence five feet tall? That doesn't make sense. So when they got home, he started reading about it. He read about this creature. And yeah, this thing can jump 20 feet in the air. But here's the deal. This creature will only jump to a place where it can see where its feet will land. If it can't see to the other side, this creature will refuse to jump. That creature could have gotten out of his cage at any moment. He had the ability to jump out at any time. But because he could not see to the other side, he gave into his fear and refused to jump to the freedom that he could have had. God has given you the power 
the strength and the might to jump to wherever it is he's calling us. God has given our church the ability to jump to wherever it is he's calling us. And that may be scary. And that may be the unknown. And that may be frightful. And the only way we're going to know where to jump and how to jump and frankly, why to jump is if we are listening to the master's voice through prayer. Our primary duty at this time, life of our church, life of our families, is to seek God's face through prayer. And if we do that, as the great saying of the church, Julia of Norwich once said, all will be well and all manner of things will be well. May we as his people seek our Father's voice through prayer. Let's pray.